You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast about helping online brands to build a better e-commerce growth engine with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. John, welcome. I am excited again to be here as per usual. And today is a wonderful day where you get to give me insights on problems that I experience personally, but also a lot of brands that we work with uh, at LP just constantly, this struggle that e-com brands have around how to handle channel conflicts. Uh, I probably at least twice a week have this conversation with new merchants and existing clients at LP about specifically the channel they're struggling with is manufacturers and brands competing with retailers. But this channel conflict is a massive conversation. And you've seen it because you've worked with a lot of brands that have this all over the place from manufacturer to wholesale to retail to direct consumer. So this direct consumer 2020 changed the game for a lot of manufacturers and they've all had to go direct to consumer because retailers stopped selling. They were closed. They were locked down as a country. And so brands that previously hadn't gone direct to consumer started doing it out of necessity. And then in 2021, as we start to win the country, I think a lot of these brands are not turning that channel off now that they've seen a lot of the benefits. And so now we've got to figure out how they balance this. And so the best brands out there have a very solid D2C model uh, locally in Portland. The one that comes to mind is Nike, who you've worked with. Uh, their direct consumer model is phenomenal. I use all their apps. I buy all my shoes direct from them. They also have arguably one of the biggest retail distributions in the footwear space. And so <laughs> when other brands that are not Nike, <laughs> which is most of people listening to us, I assume, if Nike, you're listening, call me. When they're considering this option, what is the process that these brand owners need to be thinking through uh, I'm looking at, do they just flip off the D2C and let retailers jump back in there? Let's jump into this channel conflict. It's a big conversation and let's try to make it a little simpler. It, it definitely is. I think I heard a really good, I read a really good quote on Twitter today from Webb Smith, who runs a great DTC newsletter called 2PM. And it was a hilarious little quip that went, mall owners are saying, hey, we're back in business. This is great. And then <laughs> consumers going to the mall and saying, I have to wait 28 minutes in line at, at the Sunglass Hut because they have a maximum capacity of six. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. this is still going to be a concern for, for at least another year for, for brands. And well, we think retail is open and it is open across the U.S. for the majority of the, of the country. I do think consumer habits have changed. And mm-hmm. so is it still a crucial channel? Yes. Is it going to be as much of a mix as it was prior? No. I think for real that consumers are going to buy more online. It's a great time to be in e-commerce. And so, but I think there are a lot of pros to still being in retail and to still adding new channels. So there's, I think the trend we're going to see is a lot of DTC brands that started up over the last 18 months or were DTC prior to the pandemic and then continued to thrive through that because of their model. They didn't have the retail dragging them down or the sunk cost of the inventory that hadn't sold yet out there. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to see even those DTC brands taking advantage of the of the pros of going into these other channels. I think there's rapid growth potential, right? So they're tapping into new audiences overnight on this retail front. Uh, it's really hard for a DTC brand to have the free advertising that comes with a retail location, right? Whether that be your owned retail or being at a Nordstrom, right? And somebody mm-hmm. walking into Nordstrom and getting the free advertising of seeing your brand. So I think that's an option. It is, it is tough to grow your brand when you're not in places other than a website. Mm-hmm. 
It definitely can be. And I think that's where it gives you access to those offline shoppers, right? Mm-hmm. Not not everyone wants to shop online. And I think that's just a fact. But the reality is that even generations like my parents who would not buy online as much despite their son being in e-commerce every single day. Like <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> but now they're at the point where over the past year, they've had to adjust. They figured it out. I mean, you know, my parents are using Apple Pay. Like who would have thought, right? Um, yeah. So I think that there's some good opportunities there still and, and getting access to those offline shoppers is going to be key. And I think you get that authority by proxy. Like we just talked about the credibility of being on a shelf in a Nordstrom or having that wide distribution at a Walmart and someone saying, hey, you know what? They're in Walmart. They must be a legitimate business because Walmart comes with the understanding that they're going to have to work with procurement at Walmart, which we all have heard stories of. Um, mm-hmm. Or even a Target. Some people look at Target as, a, as the nicer Walmart, if you will, right? Better curated products. And I think, you know, the other pros that come out of this are just share of the mind and wallet, right? Being present in the lives of consumers keeps those brands front and center. Um, So if you can be on the end cap in Target and somebody's walking by that once a week on their weekly trip to, to get all their miscellaneous items they need for their house at Target, that's once a week you're getting free advertising and, and a spot in their head, right? And so I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Well, yeah, even if you're just in the app. As people are scrolling to buy things to go pick up. Mm-hmm. Like that's how my wife and I are shopping now is exactly. scroll the app at Target, Walmart, Fred Meyer, whatever it is in the Northwest. Yeah, there's eyeballs there. I do the same thing. I just, every time I'm out of a product that I need, I literally pick up my wife's phone, go to the Target app and scan the barcode and it adds it to the shopping list. Super simple. Mm-hmm. It's a great idea. And next time she just goes and places the order and drives up and picks it up. Uh, it's a really great, great experience. So they've definitely have that down. And I think that's where retail is still valuable, right? Because the, com- the consumer wants the convenience, right? There are no wait times, easier returns, being able to try something before they buy it, perhaps, and depending on the product. Mm-hmm. I think that there's some options there to say, hey, you know what? I need more toothpaste, but I can't wait three days for Amazon to get it to me or whoever direct to consumer I'm going to order it from, right? But I know that I can get it at Target and place the order in the app and go pick it up within an hour or two. Great. You know, I think that that's definitely a good opportunity. And I think for brands, they can get more volume. As you mentioned, it's hard to grow if you're just a website, especially when you're starting out and you don't have a ton of cash driving that traffic behind you. But I think that there's volume in sales, but there's also volumes in getting manufacturer discounts. What I mean by that is you hit different volumes of product orders that then you start getting price breaks and your margins can go up from that. And the only way to really take advantage of that is to have retail uh, or such a big DTC uh, presence that, that you're able to do it. But that takes time to, to get up to that speed. So getting a, an order from a thousand Walmarts that each want 50 of your products immediately is going to get you price breaks that you wouldn't be able to warehouse and, and likely sell in time on your own site. So mm-hmm. for sure. So we know there's a lot of benefits of adding channels as a brand, but I know that it's not just as simple as flipping the switch and boom, new channel. <laughs> uh, yay, money in the bank. So I know there's there obviously you've seen a lot of challenges when mm-hmm. some of your clients or brands you're affiliated with have done some of these things. So what are the ones that come to mind that people need to be aware of? Just even getting in the foot uh, in the door is really hard. 
right? And, you know, there's limited shelf space and then it's placement on that shelf space. So you're going to be at the top shelf or all the way at the bottom shelf, not at eye level. So I think that there's a lot to think about there and a lot of relationships to build up, let alone dealing with the procurement at these large retailers like Walmart. Right. I mean, I have a personal experience from a a good friend of mine who sells product that is perishable and they sold into a massive drugstore chain and it got placed in over a thousand of the drugstore chain stores. They were a couple of percentage points off in hitting their sales volume to maintain a renewal. Right. They they were very, very close and it was a few percentage points off. And as part of their agreement, the drugstore chain could just throw away or mark on discount, like severe discount, the goods, but the company had to buy them back anyways and didn't get the product back to resell. And oh. so these contracts are mm-hmm. are really not in the favor of the brand. They're in the favor of the retailer uh, because the retailer is like, hey, I gave you shelf space. I took a chance on you. It didn't work out. You didn't hit the metrics. So we're going to give that shelf space to someone else. And by the way, we want reimbursed for all the product that didn't sell. And we have the right to do whatever we want with that product now. So I think it's it's something where there's a lot of risk involved there. So sourcing and vetting these partners is really hard and can be really, really expensive. Right? And, and I think you can lose significant margin at each level of that. So you really got to pay attention, right? There's no higher margin sale than that direct-to-consumer owned sale. And I think that's why a lot of brands are launching it into DTC first. Right? I, of course, then you've got your just the logistical complexities, right? You got to get the products out there in bulk to these these retailers. In that one order I was talking about with the drugstore chains, can you imagine having to get your product to a thousand retailers all on the same date, all with product that is uh, has the same sell-by dates? It's, it's just a, a massive issue to, to fulfill all of that. Um, so the mm-hmm. logistical complexity really adds up quick. And you also do lose control over the customer experience. One of the complaints of that retailer was, hey, I went into a couple of our local drugstores that were selling this product and it wasn't, it was just laying on the bottom shelf flat instead of hung up with the like product. So no wonder it didn't sell because everyone saw the like product that I level hanging and that was where my product was supposed to be. So you want me to, to reimburse you because you didn't fulfill your contract. Um, so I think, you know, controlling that experience at an individual store level, there's no way you're visiting a thousand of these, these doors and figuring out which ones aren't doing it right. And then what are you going to talk to the manager and say, hey, I own this product, so I need you to display it right. Like, the, how does that even work? So protecting your brand in the business is really, really difficult. Uh, the contracts and stuff alone, it just adds up. So there are complexities there. Are they barriers that are hard to overcome? Yes, but as you can tell, millions of brands have done it, right? Otherwise, there's no retail products. Oh, um, yeah. So it's something that can be overcome, but it's just you got to go in with this eyes wide open. You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast focused on e-commerce growth. Your hosts are John McDonald, founder of The Good, conversion rate optimization agency that works with e-commerce brands to help convert more of their visitors into buyers, and Ryan Garrow of Logical Position, a digital marketing agency offering pay-per-click management, search engine optimization, and website design services to brands of all sizes. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us out by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you. Even just getting that expertise in negotiating those contracts or understanding where the potholes are, 
massive challenge. I've had mm-hmm. some of that myself. I'm looking at retail contracts, like my eyes glaze over <laughs> and then finding a, my lawyer doesn't have experience in those. So he's just like, yeah, that sounds good. He has to go find lawyers, mm-hmm. you know? So, but there's companies that can help you do that yeah. and you pay them for the service, but then it's margin erosion uh, as well. Yep. Right now we're basically focused on direct consumer brand that has not gone to retail yet or, or moved mm-hmm. to other channels to, to sell their products. So let's assume that your brand decides the pros outweigh the cons and they start to add new partners into the mix. Mm-hmm. They, some of them can go direct to retail. Some of them have to go to distributors that will then sell to retail. And so that brings up a very complex map of how customers can get to your product and who the customers actually are. Because now you have multiple customers that aren't the end user. Mm -hmm. And so what are these conflicts that come up in the space that you've seen and and things that a brand needs to be aware of these conflicts? Well, I think you, you called out a really good one in the question, which is that you don't own the customer data. So you very rarely know who's buying your product. It makes it really hard to get that lifetime value up because you don't own mm-hmm. the data. We've talked numerous times and the one biggest, feel like one of the biggest lessons I've learned from you um, is, has been that you know it's okay to break even on that first sale, right? Spend to get that first sale because you can get more from them, build up your customer database. I just want that documented that John McDonald learned something from me and admitted it. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. It happens. <laughs> I'm going to call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing confetti. You can't see it. Yeah. yeah. So I think that you know the, the manufacturers can also go rogue and sell directly to consumers. We see this all the time with the copycat products on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. You, you start working with a manufacturer and then is it Amazon goes directly to that manufacturer and starts buying up at a cheaper price because they can buy way more? Or is it that a competitor goes out and says, hey, I I can figure out who you're using to manufacture the product and and it becomes a problem. Or the manufacturer just lists it themselves on Amazon. That happens all the time too. Alibaba. Oh, there you go. Exactly. You can go buy them for cheap because it's a stock they have laying around, right? And there was somebody who's willing to make money. I think also you can get oversaturation. So I think you can have too many authorized retailers in a given market. Now, a lot of brands would say, no, I want to be everywhere. Well, the fact is, is do you really want to be everywhere? How is that going to hurt your brand? Are you going to be in the wrong places? You can be at the gas station when you're trying to be a premium brand. Probably not. Uh, right? You want to be at the Nordstrom. So I think you have to really pay attention to that. Uh, and that also does lead to price wars. So you'll see quite often that one retailer severely undercuts the prices to steal business from their competitors. And what happens is it devalues your brand, right? It doesn't change in a lot of instances what your margins are in selling to them because they're eating that to get the customer. But the reality is, is that it still hurts your brand to always be on sale and always be on a discount. It makes consumers think that your product's not selling perhaps, or it just makes it seem hard for you if they do research and they want that product. Maybe they want a variant that's not in the store, but they see it on your website. But it's you know, it's twenty percent more on your website uh, mm-hmm. because you're not doing discounting. Well, you know that's a challenge, right? Consumers all of a sudden have been trained to accept that discount. You are giving up that pricing right, even if you have the map pricing or any of that type of stuff in place. It's not that hard to get around. Best Buy does it all the time. Like they just say, add to cart to get the price. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I can't imagine what their add to, uh, their cart abandonment rate is, but maybe that's not a stat they're really concerned about. That really just ble- bleeds into the turf wars of multiple retailers really vying for that position 
of being the, the top retailer or having the best products. And you're caught up in that war that you can't have a battle in at all. You just, you, you have no, no army. Your, your soldiers are being moved around without you and you, mm-hmm. you can't play in it. So it's not a place that is always great for a brand, but I think it's something to be thinking about. Yes. Preparing to have to monitor pricing on the internet is not a fun thing for companies that have never thought through that. Yeah, I've seen it and you've seen it because we're online every day in mm-hmm. e-commerce and you just see the beauty space in particular is brutal for map enforcement. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just disgusting. I would not start a beauty brand. Uh, yeah. Margins are high of, if you can protect them. but Yeah, margins are high, but protecting it, whew, yeah. tough. So how, how have you seen some of these brands effectively manage some of these channel conflicts? Because mm-hmm. we know they're going to happen. We know there's going to be frustration, but there's also going to be some ways that you've seen success in handling them. There's a lot of options and some tactics that you can deploy. I think exclusive products is a huge one, right? Have products that are only available on your website or only available at certain retailers. The retailers love this, right? And mm-hmm. it could be as simple as um, the same flavor with a different name, <laughs> Right, that you put places. If you're, you know, mm-hmm. I've seen that. I've seen colorways that are only exclusive on online DTC. Nike does that, right? With Nike ID, that's such a great. Mm-hmm. It's a customizable products, for instance, right? You can't get Nike ID anywhere else but their stores or or their website. You can't go into Nordstrom and get, you know, you get what they have and what they stock, yep. which is a limited selection, extended sizes. I mean, someone like me wears a size 15 shoe, like. I can't go into a retailer. I have to go online, right? Nordstrom laughs at me when I ask for a 15. But I think, you know, bonuses, but not discounts is a great way. So instead of authorizing price reductions at these at these retailers, include gift of purchase or other add-ons, right? Convince that shoe retailer to to say, hey, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in a pair of socks from the same brand. Right. So if I'm buying shoes at Okay, let's just go back to that Nordstrom example. Not a good example Mm -hmm. because Nike would never do this. But if I'm going to buy a pair of Nikes at Nordstrom and I want, you know, it's like, yeah, it's not really the colorway I wanted, but I can get a free pair of Nike socks with these shoes. That's probably okay. I'll be okay with this Mm -hmm. colorway, right? So how do you get over those objections? A little bit there. Or even going online. Ah, uh, yeah, I know it's ten dollars more online, but I'm getting that free gift of purchase if I do it from them. So you know, I'm okay waiting a week, right? So you're overcoming that additional objection in in doing that, which is great. And I think if you're going to work with these these retailers, you have to have a watertight contract. You've talked recently a lot about working with a legal team to have those in place, right? And how they have to find, there are specialists, they have to find a specialist to help you out with this. And unfortunately, in in the case of my friend who had that happen with the massive drugstore chains, it's, you know, wasn't tight enough of a contract and it costs cost them dearly. But I think, you know, if you tell partners exactly what, where, how, whom they can sell your products, you control that narrative a little more. And this is all predicated on you having a product that people want, right? Mm -hmm. If you're obviously the first time you get in and you're trying to prove yourself at that first retailer, you might have a hard time negotiating this unless you have a very solid DTC model that you can prove the numbers to. And, And then I think last but not least, just start small. Always start small like because know that you're extending yourself out there. You're producing the product. There's a chance that they come back and, and don't pay or want to wait and pay until you've sold or whatever those things are. But 
just test the product in a few stores and then expand as you get more comfortable. I think that's really going to be the key. I think even the bigger retailers have figured out how to allow smaller brands to test through their marketplaces. You know, Walmart's got a marketplace, Home Depot, Mm -hmm. Target, Urban Outfitters has one now. Easy ways to show a Walmart, hey, here's our volume that we can sell, at least on your website. And Mm -hmm. here's, you know, they already have the product images. They can see the sell-through rate um, and see how it's competing against things they may have in store and say, wow, side by side on the site, this product is selling really well. We think we can put that on the shelf, mm-hmm. the physical shelf instead of the digital one and see the same sell through. So it's really low barrier to entry for a lot of brands. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think a lot of these marketplaces are doing well. I think you know the challenge goes back on those marketplaces is the same as it is with selling on Amazon. If you become really, really popular in those marketplaces, Walmart's going to just go to that manufacturer. There's a very good chance of that. Right. Yeah. You better be the brand, mm -hmm. I guess, is what I would be. I would not be a retailer selling on Amazon or Walmart personally. Yeah. I'm (laughs) They will cut you. (laughs) I am shocked every day when I meet dropshippers because I don't understand how they're still in business. Mm -hmm. You don't own the brand. You're selling always a commodity product at, at margins that are single digits at best. And it's just not a model I would get into, but I understand the appeal. It's easy, if low low cost and barrier of entry, and you can learn a lot about e-commerce in doing it, right? So yep. there are some benefits there, but at the rate that ad cost has gone up and the margins that are in dropshipping, you don't hear about it as much anymore. I just don't think that it's, it's as lucrative as it once was. For sure, you have to be really good, I think, at SEO or have mm-hmm. an existing site that has good traffic that you can add some of those on. I've looked at dropshipping only to prove an industry model where I would then go have a product that I've developed. Mm-hmm. I'd say, hey, there's a big market here. We can see it through dropshipping. Great. Now I'm going to go back, figure out the product I'm going to be making because I can fill this spot and then I own the product Yeah. and I push harder now that I own a product that can't be duplicated on Alibaba or right. Amazon easily get some protection. That's a great, great example right there. One thing we didn't touch on, but is probably valuable as we finish this up is how do you guide people on Amazon? Because mm-hmm. some brands should be there. Some brands shouldn't be. What do you, what's your, what's your reaction when somebody says, John, we, we need to handle Amazon. Right. <laughs> I think there's a couple of things. I think that Amazon is its own beast and it's something that if you are not prepared to invest the time into Amazon, then don't even bother right? It requires time and capital, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to spend a bunch of time optimizing your pages. You have to spend a lot of time on the content. You have to still have to form relationships with Amazon. And then capital, you think spending on Google is a big budget. I mean, the number, what is it? Number two or number three ad channel is Amazon ads right now. Fastest growing ad channel for Mm -hmm. sure, but it's right behind Google and Facebook. There you go. So I, kn- I knew you would know. See, I learned two things from you. There you go. I know. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I as a, as a context, uh, my budget on Amazon for my brand is five times what it is on Google, maybe wow. six times. There you go. So, and I, you know, how about the sales volume? Is it five or six times? Or do you think you spend more to get a sale on Amazon than you do on the other channels? It's probably about the same. Maybe okay. it might actually be a little cheaper. My conversion rate on Amazon is astronomical. Right. I mean, I'm converting it 50% wow. sometimes on Amazon. Okay. Well, um, uh, I have a job for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's because I'm really good at optimizing my pages. I think I've accidentally got some good things going. 
But uh, don't sell yourself it, short, Ryan. It is, I would agree. It is so different than a website in Google and social traffic. Mm-hmm. There are things happening on Amazon you you just don't understand. Right. Like you, and I conceptually, I have this argument with our Amazon team a lot and the team running my ads because I know that there is an algorithm on Amazon. I know it's not random group of 10 humans pushing buttons internally to make decide what rank's going to happen or what's mm-hmm. going to sell or where this ad's going to show up. I know there's an algorithm. And anytime there's an algorithm, you can figure it out and understand it. Like I've done a lot of that on Google over the last 12 years. Mm-hmm. Amazon's algorithm is strange. It, and it is, there's a lot of smart people there. Right? And so I just haven't, maybe they're so much smarter than me. I haven't been able to figure it out, but it takes time. Mm-hmm. A lot of failure <laughs> to figure it out. I agree with that. I just think if you're not willing to invest that time and money, then then don't even bother with Amazon. Focus instead on on DTC and and put some effort into trying out some retail. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Anything else, John? Anything you want to leave us with on channel conflicts and how to resolve those? Not that I can think of at this point. I think that it's worth a shot. Give it a shot, but go in eyes wide open. And, you know, if I think the most valuable way to do this is build up a great DTC brand and then use that to parlay a, a, a retail experience and contract because otherwise they're taking a bet on you. And I can promise you that contract's not going to be as good. Yep. Yep. So to summarize, there's, you need to do it if you're a brand. I think it's, if, if you don't, you're selling your brand short mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I think there's a lot of expansion potential, uh, but there's going to be potholes and pitfalls that you're going to experience. Uh, It's not a smooth transition direct consumer to having distribution, having retailers. And I think it's, you know, find some experts to help if you can. Mm -hmm. And then understand there's going to be more conflicts you can't predict. (laughs) It's There's going to be things you can't see when you start that are going to happen. You're going to have to be able to pivot and move quickly and fix problems. There's going to be unique fires, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, that are going to come up. All all part of the fun of running an expanding and growing business. Yes, it is. All right. Well, John, I appreciate the time and hitting on a point that I think a lot of DTC brands are trying to work through right now uh, as they move into 2021. Awesome. Well, thanks, Ryan. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for listening to Drive and Convert with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. To keep up to date with new episodes, you can subscribe at driveandconvert.com.